Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. Today we are here with Ruthie Israeli, who is a couples and sex therapist based in New York City. And we actually met a few weeks ago at the Pelvic Health Summit where you were being interviewed and you had a super unique insight into the way that you approach couples therapy with your clients. So I was very eager to get you on the podcast. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Hannah, for having me. And um, I hope I could be of help. You, you will be of help. You are of help. Can you tell us what you do as a relationship therapist? Sure. So um, one of the things I do is I work with people who are in relationships or who individuals who are interested in being in a relationship or interested in understanding uh, what went south in one of their relationships in the past. Um, so the first thing I usually do is uh, work with individuals who have some sort of goal for themselves. Uh, often it's to better their relationship if they're in a relationship. Uh, sometimes it might be to better the communication, uh, better the intimacy or better the f- physical intimacy, um, or you know just spice things up in the bedroom a little bit. Um, so that's what I do when I'm working with couples. Uh, when I'm working with an individual, uh, often I, I see a fair amount, more recently I've been seeing a fair amount of young men uh, post-relationship, sort of getting out of relationship. Uh, sometimes they found themselves cheating or you know, with someone and they didn't really feel like they wanted to be that guy, quote unquote, the bad guy, um, and just trying to figure out what, what happened to them and, and how they found themselves there. And so even though they might not be in a relationship any longer, uh, these are individuals who sort of want to understand, uh, you know, how they can be a better boyfriend or possibly eventually a better uh, husband and eventually a better father. And something that's interesting that I remember you talking about at the summit was that a lot of your clients, and I, I believe you said this, but correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of your clients come to you for one problem and then mm-hmm. into into the work they start talking about the problems in their relationship or the problems they're having with their sex life Mm -hmm. or painful sex or, I mean, if you want to call it pelvic pain. But you were saying, I believe, that a lot of people aren't initially coming to you with this and then it kind of starts to become unraveled throughout your sessions together. Exactly, Hannah. Usually people come in for one specific problem, whether it's that their relationship's on the verge of collapse um, or there's an affair going on or they're just getting into a bunch of fights. And one of, one of the things that, that you know, a relationship therapist does is understand what's actually going on here in the relationship. And part of doing that is asking, how are things going on in the bedroom? Are things all right there? Um, and usually the way that I'll do that is I might ask it uh, with the couple at first and just sort of get a sense of their body language. Do they cringe when I ask that question? Are they totally comfortable? Is there a death of silence uh, where no one really wants to be in the room in that moment? Um, and then, the w- then I'll do after that is is maybe you know have an individual session with each of them and then ask them each separately. Well, how are things going in terms of physical intimacy, in terms of sex? Um, and you'll find out sometimes that 
either uh, he's having trouble performing or she's in having pain, whether it's pelvic pain um, or she's having anxiety around sex or for some reason they don't know what, they don't have a language yet, but sex isn't working and it's not something they've thought about or have been talking about for a while. Um, or it's, you know, the biggest issue that uh, I'm finding often is, is sort of what's called a desire discrepancy in that one person has more desire than the other person. And so you might have a relationship where uh, one person, oftentimes is the, the man, sort of, you know, stereotypically, is interested in having sex, and she's not. And what do you do with that? You know, a little bit of that is, is just all right, but when that happens for a long period of time, it can really take a toll on the relationship. And it can definitely go the other way around, right? It, the desired discrepancy could be where she's more interested um, and he's pulling back. And the reason why he may pull back is because, uh, you know, he might have performance anxiety or premature ejaculation or ED or something of that nature. And in terms of the sexual language discrepancy, mm -hmm. is this something that you often see is a problem from the beginning of a relationship or something that... Hmm evolves later on in the relationship? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, it really does depend. One of the first things I usually do is ask, you know, how was sex in the beginning of your relationship? And, you know, you might think, like for most couples, it was wonderful in the beginning and, you know, something and, you know, time, you know, took its toll and, you know, things got a little bit uh, quieter in the bedroom. Um, but that's not actually the case. For some couples, it was actually bad from the beginning and then got worse and then got a little better. And it's pretty much sort of that, that baseline of not doing so great in the bedroom. And that's really important to know because uh, one is, okay, well, this is going to be some more work ahead of us if it's always been not so great. And then the second thing to know is if it, it was really good in the beginning, what happened? That makes me think that there's something in the relationship that happened as opposed to, to something um, medical that's going on. And a problem that I know a lot of couples experience or one part of the couple is struggling to get the other part to go to therapy with them. So oftentimes if a relationship is struggling that one of the parties, like the woman might be okay to go to therapy and might be more than happy to talk about these problems with her therapist, but it could be really helpful to have her boyfriend or her husband there or her girlfriend there, whoever it may be. And getting them there could be the hard part. And in the work that you do, I'm sure you see a lot more benefit when couples eventually are able to come into therapy together. So if one person in the relationship is struggling to get the other person into therapy with them, how would you kind of counsel them through this? Yeah, I mean, it's the old age question of how do you get, you know, your husband or boyfriend to do what you're asking him to do, right. right? Take out the trash. Right. I've asked you six times already, take out the trash. Can you just do it already? So um, this is a little bit a little bit different because this is asking him or her to do something that they haven't done before possibly, right? So maybe they haven't been to therapy or maybe they've gone to therapy and they had bad experience with therapy and they just didn't have that right therapist, that good fit. And um, admitting that there's a problem is often... Yeah, admitting there's a problem is usually the hardest part. What do you mean? We need right, somebody else to right. help figure, figure out our problems? Yeah, why can't we do this ourselves? Right. Um, in, that, in that regard, I do work with a fair amount of what I call half couples, uh, which is one person in the relationship who wants to work on the relationship in a therapeutic setting. I'm not saying that the other party that 
that isn't there doesn't want to work on it. They're just not there in that room. And so um, these, you know, half couples that I work with um, come in and talk about, you know, what's going on on their side. And they're hoping to, to make better the relationship either by working on ways to bring their partner in or just seeing how they can maintain it from their end, right? If they do their part, can things maybe shift? You know, can that be sort of a systemic change? Can they do their part and then have their partner shift slowly because they're making changes in themselves? And, but so say say a woman comes in, for example, and she's going through something with her boyfriend and, she, and her boyfriend is really adamant that he does not want to go and he doesn't think he needs to be there or say she's just scared to ask him to go. Yeah. Then what? If you find yourself struggling uh, to be able to ask your partner to join therapy with you, mm-hmm. one of the things you can do is ask yourself, you know, why are you so scared to ask him or her to mm-hmm. join this the session or to start the process? Right. If you're already in, in therapy to join the session and if you're not in therapy to start the process with you. Um, the other thing you can do is that if, if you're not in therapy yet, you can give it a try yourself and see if you can maybe uh, build the courage in those kind of conversations and maybe get the language to start having that conversation with him or her in a way that feels comfortable for you and comfortable for him or her. And I remember that we were also talking about at the summit the importance of not making it about them but making it about you. Was this, in, was, this was in our interview, right? Yeah. I think it was, like saying, you. I need, like this is for me, this is for us, for me, but not making them a target mm-hmm. sure. and making, you know, saying like, I'm really struggling with this. This would be really helpful if you came with me. Like, let's just try this once and mm-hmm. not be like, I need you to do this. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, which is, it, which is, is sort of coming, coming, coming from a sort of more, um, you know, an approach of, of introspection a little bit, which is that I need your help to get through this process. Right. I need you to join me in this journey. I can't do this alone. We're in this relationship together. As a as opposed to, yes, go to therapy now. Right. Because I asked you. Or because I'm gonna give you sex if you do. So once you get the couple into your into your office together and they're there, they've made it, they've been able to convince each other to go to therapy together, to fix their relationship, mm-hmm. or to work on something that they're struggling with. Where do you begin? And I know that you have a particularly interesting process, mm-hmm. so I want you to share this with, with us. Yeah, so you know, where I begin really depends on the individuals coming in. So it, it does matter, you know, what is your presenting problem? What, what is your goal for yourself? Um, if your goal is specifically sex therapy, we're going to start there. If your goal is figuring out whether or not to stay together, we're going to start there. Um, if you're struggling on figuring out how do we make it through these few days after we found out about you know an affair, then that's where we're going to start. Um, usually, usually what I what I what I do do is is really try and spend some time talking with the couple both together and then individually to get a real sense of what's going on. Um, in the past, the way that it used to be is that everything was with both of them in the same room at the same time, and there was no sense of privacy. There's a difference between privacy and secrecy. When you say something's a secret, um, it implies that it's sort of you know forbidden to tell. Privacy is, is something between you and your doctor, between uh, you and your practitioner, um, and something that, that's private to you. And so, when I meet with the couple individually, when I have those individual sessions, 
before I do that, I do explain that we're going to have those sessions as private. And anything that they want to share after those sessions with each other, they're, they're welcome to do that. But during, during the session, everything that they say in those individual sessions are completely private and confidential. And then they get to share afterwards what they want to bring back into the, into the couple session or not. And that's really important because if somebody's struggling with something like they're not sure they want to be in the relationship or they really have feelings around sex and they haven't been able to tell their partner that actually I'm in pain and you don't know it because I've been faking it or um, I have um, I have you know some anxiety around sex and you don't know it because I've been just trying to sort of get through it so or I think I, I think I can't handle my partner's sexual issues anymore I'm at the verge of leaving him or her mm. I'm done we've been at this for several years so those are those are sort of a um, it's been it's been really important to hear that as a therapist because otherwise um, I'm going in sort of blindsided, not knowing how difficult these problems actually are for each of them. And then once once they come together, um, that's when we really start having the conversation about. So what is it we want to work on here? And the way that we do that is is first I learn a little bit about each of them, you know, how they grew up and how that informs them currently. Um, because some of the things we, we've learned as kids, we somehow seem to bring it into our adult relationships, um, not realizing that they don't work anymore. Right. Um, and we act like little children, like big children in some ways, um, and expect our, our partners to act like our parents. And it doesn't always work, often not. So let's take the specific example of painful sex, which you see a lot in your practice and a lot of women who have pelvic pain have painful sex and I think that when they go see a sex therapist oftentimes they're told try something else it's okay if you can't have penetration right now or not even right now but there's other ways to have sex besides penetration but you really at the summit talked about this in in a interesting and funny and kind of clever way and that was the first time that I had heard a sex therapist bring a really unique kind of insight into sex therapy Sure. So can you yeah, yeah tell us what you said? Yeah sure I'll happy to tell you tell you what I said. Uh, one thing I think is very true is that um, there are many ways to have sex aside for penetration, mm-hmm. and I and I do really mean that earnestly. Um, the the only issue is that sometimes that can feel like a real blow to mm-hmm. a couple. Yeah. Hearing that, because it can sometimes feel like did you just miss the point? Right. This is what we're trying to do. Right. Have sexual penetration. This is this is our goal. This is the thing that we wake up thinking about. This is the thing that we go to sleep thinking about. Don't tell me that I can do other things. I can do that somewhere else. Right. And so that becomes really, really hard um, to hear. So it so in the interim, it, it, it can it can be a little bit of you know a little bit of time before that that does happen, and it, it happens you know with hard work, and it doesn't always happen for every woman, right? So sometimes right. she might not be able to achieve um, that that point and where she's she allows herself. Uh, to experience penetration either for her own sort of anxieties or just sort of physically mm. um, for whatever's going on over there. So, so, you know, you know, something I do with couples while they're working on achieving uh, penetration is something that my mentors have taught me is, idea, is introducing the idea of what's called a sexual menu. And so, um, you know, sex and food are, are very closely related, right? These are, these are sort of biological needs that we have. And um, as, my, as my mentor, uh, Susanna Ayasenza, likes to say, um, you don't always want Chinese food one night 
and right. then want it again the next night, and then ne- the night after that, and the night after that. You might want Chinese one night, and Italian another, and Thai the next, um, and some Greek food That's right funny. after that, right? Yeah. Um, and so sex is similar in that way, um, which is is that we have different interests, and that we might want one thing one night, but not not the same thing the next night. And when you're working with a couple who's trying to achieve penetration, um, I, I introduced the idea of what's called a sexual menu. And the sexual menu allows for each of the couple, each each uh, partners in the couple to go back home, you know, write what they'd like to do without penetration. I think this is like a genius exercise. Yeah, this is not my exercise. This okay. is the exercise of Susanna Ascenza and I've, you know, I've um, I've been able to borrow it. Uh-huh. Um, and what it essentially does is it allows you to um, write down all the things that you're thinking of that you would like to do and explore, whether it's sort of intimate or very sexual, without penetration. And each each of the uh, partners in the couple will go back home and sort of write it. You know, you sort of grab your you grab your iPhone, you put in a couple of things on a note, put it down. You're on the subway, hoping no one's looking over <laughs> you. Pop those things down, um, and then they'll come back the next week and then share them with me. Now, they're not sharing them with each other during that week. So the menus are kept secret? Secret menus okay. for a whole week. Okay. Nobody knows what's going on. Okay. Um, and so you can keep the menu as, as long or short as you want. You know, you want to put three items on there, that's fine. You want to put 103 items on there, that's okay too. It does happen where sometimes one part of the couple has, you know, what feels like 103 items and what feels like three items, which is that, you know, a lot more stacked on one side than on the other side. And you said sometimes the men have three and the women have 100 or the women exactly. have it three can, and the men it, have 100. Exactly. It can, yeah. it can go in both ways. Exactly. Um, and so what what um, what you do is then they come back and they each read out the, what's on the menu and we negotiate. We, we pick together. Now it's what's turning gonna, into a business deal. It's a business deal. It's a business <laughs> transaction right there. And we decide together what's going to go on, what's right. going to go on this menu, right? Will it be, um, you know, whatever that they've chosen, you know, one from him and two from her or three from him and and five from her, you know, what, what will go on there? How do you choose based on what each partner is comfortable with? Uh, what each partner is comfortable with and what they're comfortable with together, right? So it has uh-huh. to get negotiated and feel like comfortable, fair possible right um all of those things really are important um and then once they you know that list can get you know altered over time so that might be what we use for that week or for the next few weeks um and then they come back and they, they bring things from the reserve uh sometimes in the reserve list there are things that are very you know more more exciting sexually things that they haven't tried before that they really do want to try that they're actually afraid to mention to their partner maybe he or she's not interested in exploring um, so that, that, that's something that we'll, we usually do. And then you said at the summit that you send them home with the menu, with their list that, that you've negotiated on, mm-hmm. and their homework the next week is to try it out. Try right. it out. Exactly. And then they report back. Then they report back. How did it go? How did it feel for you? How did it feel for you? Oh, I really loved it. Or no, I didn't really like it so mm-hmm. much. Well, what didn't you like? What did you like? You know, couples, you know, have sex talking about sex is not the thing that couples like doing right and when you come into an office and you sit down it forces you to do that do they feel awkward and uncomfortable or do they actually open up about it you know at first it can feel a little bit awkward because if you don't have that language right who has the language for talking about sex not most of us Mm -hmm. you know usually we don't even get that language from our parents right if at all maybe one or two sentences um so they come in and um 
and they they start to uh, you know you know learn uh, the language uh, either together or with me to you know we start to begin you know having a, a, a language it's like any other language it's like going to study French or Spanish you need to have those words to use in order to start putting you know sentences together but that's a really valuable skill to have yeah the it, it, valuable that skills can just, change a relationship that can change your life essentially it, it, it really can it can and there's two languages for talking about sex the first language is you know the verbal language that we know and the other language is the physical language which is letting your partner know hey i'm not enjoying this or i'm really enjoying this can you do more of this you know how do you sort of you know put your hand over his or her hand and bring it closer to the area that you want to be touched in or move it away from the area that you don't want to be touched in. You know, it's okay to do that when you understand that you're communicating, when you've learned how to do that. Uh, part of what I do with a couple is teach them how to build those skills, how to be able to physically communicate with each other in the act itself, mm. um, and then how to talk about it outside of the relationship, I mean, outside of the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I also think that this, these activities would make the period where, you know, penetrative sex might not be possible much more interesting and yeah. funny and fun and enjoyable it's like oh we can't do that but we're forced to do all these other things oh yeah like, that's may, funny it makes it really fun i mean sometimes the, the the process of getting to penetrative sex can take a while mm. and then while you're waiting let's have some fun right, right? and especially when um, one partner is just waiting sort of desperately for the penetrative sex to happen, well, let's come up with things that'll make him happy or her happy, mm -hmm. right, in the meantime. I think that's really, really amazing. And what what kind of feedback do you get from this? Um, so I get all kinds of feedback. <laughs> um, you know, usually, usually, uh, usually it's really awkward at first, mm. especially these exercises of learning how to, um, like, physically touch each other. Um, in a way that's more sensual and not sexual, just because they're learning how to communicate, they're learning that language. Um, but then it gets sort of second nature. It's like, okay, we've got our like, our, like you know, we've got our date night. Oh, we've got our sensate night, right? So they're doing their their sort of sensate focus exercises, um, and it, and they can they romanticize it a little bit. Um, and then with the menu, um, you know, it's really awkward at first, sort of uh, you know putting it together, putting it together, sharing it. Um, but then it becomes really fun. Um, and if it's something that they don't like, then they just scratch that off the menu and they know that together uh, they don't like that. Has anyone come in unable to come up with anything for their menu? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, you know, I, I let I let the menu go from intimacy mm. um, to, to sexuality. And by that, um, hand-holding can go on the menu. Right, even I was about to say, even cuddling. if it's like more hugs and kisses, exactly. like simple things, simple. even if someone's not like so sexually... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. What's the right word? Well, they don't have to be so sexually charged. Right. Um, Thank you. But, but they they, um, but they can be romantic with each other. Right. Um, and that's what couples crave is sort of you know, being close to one another. And do you see? I, I'm sure you do, but I want you to talk about them, the results and the changes that you see in in couples, their individually and together, their moods and their relationships and their sex lives and their happiness. And even with like, I'm sure that this improves their pain because their anxiety is less and they're able to have fun romantically and, and sexually with their partner. They're not so stressed that they mm -hmm. can't do anything when in fact they actually can do a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the therapist that came before me that, you know, the, the sort of the, the old school, the OG sort of way of looking mm -hmm. at it was that if you can improve the relationship, you can improve the sex. That was that was what was understood. And, you know, studies have been done and realized that 
couples, even though their communication is well and a lot of things are going really great, doesn't mean the sex is going to follow. Sometimes there's actual pelvic pain, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes there are actually things going on in terms of, you know, uh, erectile dysfunction. So, you know, and some of them are, are sort of medically linked. Some of them are more, you know, uh, emotionally and psychologically based. But those are things that need to be tackled in and of themselves. That's not something that the communication can just sort of, you know, talk you, talk you away into. Right. That that won't work. Right. And you know, as you start to sort of work on the sex, well, guess what? They start to like each other a little bit more. <laughs> They're a little bit happier holding hands with each other. Right. It, you know, it can feel nicer um, to spend time with each other because sometimes the burden is lifted where there's all this pressure. You know, especially for women, they they complain about having this pressure to have sex. And so they're kind of afraid to touch their partner sometimes because, well, what if he wants sex? Well, what if he knows that sex is not on the menu, but something else is? Mm. So it feels really, um, really comfortable for her to be able to, to approach or even initiate, um, which is often what what he's been waiting for, which is for her to just, you know, initiate a little bit. Um, but couples do, you know, it is really beautiful to see the, the, the end of the line when couples are... Um, holding hands, talking with each other in a way that they feel good about, and then connecting sexually. And for some, the end of the line is is uh, penetrative sex, and for others, it's just being able to get better sex. You know that 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 penetration standard is something maybe they let go of, and they don't really want to work towards. That's okay, just the same. A question that I have for you that just came to my mind, but I think that this is an interesting question. Do you believe from your perspective that there's always room to improve in terms of a couple sex life? I mean, I do think there's always room to improve in terms of a couple sex life. Mm-hmm. I think you have to think about long-term relationships. So it's hard because we're younger, so we're not really thinking about it um, in those ways. But you know, if you think, for example, like a, a 20 or 30 year relationship, the sex can't be the same the whole time, right? It, it, it might have two or three years where it's amazing, and then a few years where it's not so good, or a few years where it is or it isn't, or it's just kind of stagnant. And so, you know, the mood changes, you know, over years, You're, you know, the way that you interact with each other um, changes. The relationship, I should say really, the relationship changes uh, when you interact with one another, and the sex changes over the years. And so if you're at a place and you feel like, hey, this this could get a little bit better, yeah, that's the time to sort of check in. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you get your body in shape, you, you might want to get your mind in shape, or you might, might want to get your sex in shape. So this, this question's a little bit more on a tangent, but again, it's coming to me, and I want to ask you since I have Ooh, you I here. love tangent questions. <laughs> this is a tangent question, and this is more applicable to all women in general, not just women who may be having pelvic pain or painful sex, but... I think that there's, and even when I talk to friends of mine who have no sexual health issues, very healthy sex lives, they have a lot of anxiety around the fact that it takes them longer to have an orgasm than mm-hmm. their boyfriend yeah. or their husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is anxiety that a lot of women have, and it gets in the way because they actually are anxious while they're having sex, and then they can't relax, and it makes their ability to orgasm even harder than it already is so what 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 do you do for that i love that you brought up that question i just spoke about that with my class um you know in in a graduate school of psychology and they're they're all in their 20s Mm -hmm. 
and we talked about the different models of, uh, you know, of uh, the sexual response, right? The different sex models that we have, and you know, one model is that, um, you know, you both sort of climax and orgasm at mm -hmm. the exact same time. Mm. And That's that, rare, though. No. And that model is from the 1960s. Right. We're in 2019, right? right. I just want to make sure. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that's been happening in particular is that, um, you know, we are in 2019 and things are readily available to us very quickly. And, and one of the things that's really re readily available um, is porn. But one of the things that's happening is that, um, you know, more and more young people are having their introduction to, to sex, sex education through porn. And that idea of sort of climaxing at exactly the same time is not a, not realistic in the slightest. Wow, that's a lot of pressure to put on, on a couple, which is that you have to orgasm and I have to orgasm at the exact same time. I mean, that's essentially... That's porn. Yeah. Right? Right. right? There's no like, and then I come, right. and then you come. So oh, and then, and then yeah. I come, and then I, I wait for you, right. and I stimulate you a little bit. Right. No. That's not how it happens, uh -huh. right? But in in reality is that a woman's body is quite different from a man's body. And they're not exactly gonna achieve climax at the exact time. And so we put a lot of unnecessary pressure on ourselves and expectations. And I don't think it's just the women. I think the men also kind of expect it too, right? Did I not do my job if, if, if she's still waiting? You know, and then and then and then we we find ourselves in the position of, you know, the faking it, right, right, quote unquote, right, um, which is a position that women have found themselves in since the dawn of time. Mm -hmm. And I think just that education, and for both men and women, would help them to understand that yeah. sex isn't like it seems in porn. Sex exactly. is so exactly. different than that. Exactly. And so what I do is I start to show them. Uh, some of the different models of, of you know, sex mm -hmm. and that we've moved a long way since the 1960s and we don't both have to sort of climax at exactly the same moment right. um, or have to climax at all, actually, right? Sex is more than just, you know, penetration, mm -hmm. um, right? It includes all sorts of other things. And so letting them know that, that there are a lot of things that they can be doing and they don't have to be doing both of those things at the same time. It's it, it's essentially, you know, the way that it's thought of is as multitasking. Mm. Um, because, you know, sort of thinking about, right, um, having to do two things at the same time, you know, quote unquote, um, <laughs> which is you're expected to stimulate your partner to reach climax. And he or she's supposed to do that for you at the exact same kinda time. Hard. It's kind of hard. You really are multitasking. <laughs> we don't think about it, but when you break down sex... I'm a terrible multitasker. Yeah, yeah, well, everybody is. When when people multitask, right. what ends up happening is, is that nobody really does a very good job right. at either. And so now there's this expectation that you're going to multitask, which is called sex. Right. And somehow, you're both going to be finished at the same time. You're going to start at the same time and finish at the same time. That's pretty hard yeah. and not realistic yeah and you know and it, it look it, it can work for some couples and and again you know think about a long-term relationship and and you know sexual language and being able to talk to each other what does work for you what doesn't work for you you know maybe you can sort of get there if that's your goal right if that you know mm -hmm. somebody might be coming in with that goal and I'd be happy to help you I would be happy to take some pressure off for you but that might be your goal and then you're gonna have to learn how to communicate sexually in order to achieve that goal
That's a big goal. That might take a while. Right. And is it even necessary? That's the question. Yeah. And that's where it comes up, you know, and that and that's where it, what's important is what's important to you and what's mm-hmm. important to you as a couple. What are your thoughts on couples watching porn together? If it's part of their sexual menu, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, both parties have to really enjoy porn. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be something that uh, one one finds grotesque and the other one likes, right? Right. So it has to be both enjoyable. Um, if you both like porn, the next thing will be is figuring out what kind of porn you enjoy together. Um, that might not might not be shared. Um, and so maybe one night you'll watch, you know, his porn, and the, the next night you'll watch a her porn mm-hmm. or some other kind of porn. Um, but it's got to be something that feels like it's going to bring the couple closer together. If if the porn feels like it's pulling you apart, that you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's got to feel like it's something that's helping you um, in some way. And something that I want you to also just touch upon really quickly is the importance of being in relationship therapy or couples therapy when you have any form of pelvic pain that you sense could be affecting your relationship like how important this really is and I think it's often overlooked it's not something that that couples want to do understandably so it's time it's money it's energy Mm -hmm. but you see this every day and I think you see how helpful it can really be for couples so can you just share for a minute uh, your insight into why this could be so important and could really help a relationship tremendously? Sure, yeah. Um, You know, a lot of women are suffering from pelvic floor pain. And some of them understand what it is and some of them don't. And But all of them are living with it. They really are living with the pelvic floor pain. Um, That's something that they're uh, experiencing every day. Mm. And coming in first allows them to talk about it and then work on it, either by themselves or with someone else that they're in a relationship with. So you think it, it is something that's important if they're willing to do it? It could, And if, if their relationship or their sex life is struggling, it is worth trying. It's certainly worth trying. You know, if they have some better route that they think mm-hmm. is, is, is better for themselves, by all means, try right. it. Um, you know... This is, this is the way that I know how to help people, mm-hmm. but every person knows how to help themselves better. Yeah. That's what I believe, that really, you know, That's you understand yourself. Uh-huh. You know what you need if you yeah. really spend a minute and think about it. Yeah. You know what you need. Yeah, exactly. Someone might find that they need to go sort of more of a medical route than mm-hmm. going sort of a, you know, a therape route. And that's perfectly fine. And what advice do you have for people listening who think that relationship therapy may help them but are struggling to find the right therapist that they can really connect with and work well with. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the key, which is connecting with that therapist. And, mm-hmm. and that sometimes is, it's a, you know, a trial and error, right? Um, you have to make sure it feels like a good fit. When you, you know, when you go in that first session, it might feel right. The second session, it might not. You, you have to be the determinator. You have to determine that for yourself. Um, you know, how do you, you know, how do you go and find that good fit? Um, you know, ask a friend, yeah. right? Read reviews, um, you know, speak to, to other people who have gone through this, speak to providers that you know, whether they're doctors, um, you know, physical therapists, you know, see, see if they, they recommend somebody. Um, and really trust yourself. I mean, 
you know, if you're if you're not feeling that this is a good fit, it probably isn't, mm-hmm. and it's not you. And the best part is when you're with a cu- when you're part of a couple and you're in this in this in the therapy room together. If one of you feel, is feeling like it's not a good fit, the other one probably is feeling it as well. Interesting. Yeah. And you can it. It's okay to move on. Yeah, it's definitely okay to move on. I mean, I love graduating my clients on. That's the best part. <laughs> I have to make room for new people, <laughs> right? For the newbies. Yeah. Um, which it is really incredible to see when a couple sort of sorts out their issues, whether they're, um, you know, sexual issues or otherwise, and and it's time, you know, either I think it's time or they think it's time, mm-hmm. um, and I say to them, you know, this doesn't mean the door's closing, you know, if you this is going to be a long term relationship, you know, I'm happy you're getting married, but you're always welcome to come back anytime, you know, and if I'm not living in New York City and you're not either, well, we can do a video chat, Zoom. Zoom. As we talked about earlier. Yeah, I do like Zoom. <laughs> um, and then something that I want to quickly throw in is two questions that were submitted from listeners of the podcast. Hi, listeners of the podcast. <laughs> the first one is how to deal with the guilt of not being able to sexually connect with my husband anymore. We oh. touched upon this. Yeah, I think I think we did touch upon it in some ways, but, um, you know, guilt is... is is its own baby in and of itself, right? That's probably something that that person is holding in general. Um, I imagine if they're holding that guilt, they might be holding guilt about some other things as well. Um, And so that would probably have to get explored first, right? What's this guilt all about? Um, Is he feeling guilty? Because if if they're not on the same page with that, um, then that would give me a reason to think that there's something more to explore there in terms of terms of uh guilt but um but yeah i mean is it is it the guilt from him or is it the guilt from you know from peer pressure or or films or netflix or whatever is going on or porn and just to touch on that point more once you can figure out where the guilt is coming from you can then figure out how to sexually connect again Exactly. And how to rebuild that connection because it's possible. Yeah, it's certainly possible to, to rebuild the connection. Mm-hmm. The question is, is the guilt that's getting in the way or are you getting in the way? Or is he getting in the way? Or are you both getting in the way? Or is it something else that we just don't yet know about? Right. Thank you. And the next question and last question is, having sex with IBS is hard and doctors don't really care about my sex life. I can't relax at all. Yeah, that's hard. More and more young people are, are, are being diagnosed with IBS. This is, this is, you know, if you've ever been out with friends, this one can't eat this, that one can't eat that. Um, so uh, we try not to ask too many questions, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, somebody's got something going on. Um, so, you know, it's really sad to hear that doctors are not caring about that. Um, I'd like to think that at least they would sort of send out a referral, but... Um, you know, it sounds like that was that person's experience, that their doctor in particular didn't care about it. I know that there are many doctors out there that do care about that. Um, so, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, is, is one of the things I would say is, um, one, you know yourself, so you know you're, you have IBS, um, and figuring out, you know, okay, well, in what ways does it affect you sexually, and what ways doesn't it, right? And what can you do to to explore around that, right? Kind of like we talked about a sexual menu. What can you do around the IBS, right? The way we said, what can you do around not having penetration? So those are those are that's the sort of first conversation to have. Um, but for that for that particular you know subscriber, 
um, in terms of their their IBS question is they need to find a you know a provider that they feel that they can trust and feels and that they feel um, hears them. And I also, these questions were for you specifically, so I don't want to take your spotlight, but if I'm going to throw in my sixth sense. Please do, yeah. (laughs) I, from what I've learned, if sex is ever painful, I think the best, one of the best things to do is to see a pelvic floor physical therapist just to have that ruled out. They can tell Mm -hmm. you a lot and they're trained to really understand like all the muscles that are operating when you're having sex and they can probably guide you to the right doctor if you can't find the right doctor on your own. Yeah, thank you Hannah for saying that. That's exactly right because the first thing I do generally is rule out anything medically and the way that I do that is I send I send the individual out to all sorts of mm-hmm. medical providers. Right. Which we talked about a lot also at the summit. All yeah, like you exactly. work closely with pelvic floor PTs and Exactly. Yeah. So it is it's important. Um so I think that's it. Thank you for being here and for sharing all this wonderful information. You are one of my favorite people to talk to. Aw, thank you, <laughs> Hannah. It's really been a lot of fun, I have to say. Yeah. And where can people contact you? Sure. So um, you can reach me directly at ruthieisraeli at gmail.com. That's R-U-T-H-I-E-I-S-R-A-E-L-I at gmail.com. And then you can find me on Instagram. Cool. And I will link your email on your Instagram in the show notes. And to everyone listening, thank you again for tuning in. Please share your thoughts, comments, and questions about this episode or any other episode at info at the Women's Pelvic Health Podcast.com. I would love to hear from you. And as always, please rate and review the podcast in the iTunes store. I wish all of you health, healing, and happiness.